Okay, uh, so I apologize. I will give you the source sheets if you want them afterwards, but my, my computer went into that annoying update Windows oh, no. thing. So my source sheets are stuck in my computer. Um, that's fine. I'm going to give it from memory. So we don't It'll need be fine. What? No, you don't need the old one. So I'll send it to you so you can have them. But in the meantime, we'll go through it. Okay. So last week we talked about the uh, the role of Agatha a bit. Um, it's, its relationship to halachic texts, what it adds to religious experience, uh, and the like. Um, what I want to do today is start the discussion of how does one learn Agatha, right? When it opens up a non-halachic text, you read a story, it might be a wild story, you know, I don't know which Agatha you've seen, but they can get quite, uh, they can get quite wild, um, depending on the, the particular story. Uh, how do you analyze it, right? What do you do? You open up the text, we know, right, you learn a halachic text, and we have tools, Right? If you're learning halacha so you try to figure out, right, what's the conclusion of the Gemara, you know, you look at Rishonim, you look at Shulchan Aruch. If you're trying to understand Lamdus, okay, so you try to figure out the nature of the law, maybe you'll have, you know, multiple possibilities. We have sort of a grasp on how you learn, uh, you, you learn halacha, or at least we will. Um, but but, uh, but Agatha is a bit more complicated in, uh, in a certain sense, right? How do you read it? So, a good place to start here is the Rambam, because the Rambam divides the world into, uh, into three groups. Um, now, take, for a little bit of context, the Rambam in Perisha Mishnaya, where this is found, Perisha Mishnaya is in Hezagdamar HaChelek. Chelek is, is the last barrack of Sanhedrin, in some versions, or the second to last, but whatever, depending, but in the Gemara, at least, the last barrack of Sanhedrin, Chelek is called Chelek because the Mishnah that it's commenting on is... And in that context, Gemara says there are certain people, Mishnah says there are certain people who don't have a chelak in Olamaba, there are certain people who don't have a portion of the world to come, um, people who deny Tchias HaMesim is and things like that. So the Ramam uses an opportunity to talk about some general principles, and one of them is how to read Agatha. So the Ramam divides the world into three types of people. Now, it is a bit striking as we see the Ramam in just a second. Just remember the Rambam is not or maybe not at all older than you are when he is writing this. Um, the Rambam finishes Perish Mishnah in his 20s. Um, so... How old is Rambam when he died? 65 or 4. It's not totally clear. He was born in 1140. The Rambam was born in 1140. He died either 1204 or 1205, born in Spain, in Cordoba. He was kicked. He was chased out with his family by the Almohads um, and lives in Egypt. Fine. Okay? Yes, so 64, 65 years... Something like that. Not totally clear. Academics divide, uh, but something like that. Debate that. Debate, but every about sixty-five years. Okay, Bachari of Ter. Right. A lot of our, uh, our, our, you know, what is my phone doing? Like half of it's dark. Okay. Um, fine. A lot of people didn't live quite. You know, sixty-five was like a decent age by then, right? Like the Arizal died at thirty-eight. You know, like it's uh, okay. Fine. Anyways. Well. No, he died. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the piece of information I always use to disprove that. Is, do you know the result of 38? It wasn't the great, it was the Vadar Baratzos. Um, yes. What? Okay, anyways, anyways, fine. So, okay, so the Rambam, though, divides the world into three groups, okay? The Rambam divides the world into those people who read it, what? No. Wait, what? 
No, 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 no. He's a different no, he's a Kabbalist. He's a different Okay. Anyways, the, um, so the Ramam divides the world into three groups of people in terms of how they read Agatha and how they understand Midrashim and the like. Oh, wait, is it, this isn't the thing with the wine, right? No. No. Okay. So the, the Ramam says, the first group... So, I'll, first let me give you the three groups and I'll read the Ramam. I'll read a translation. I think it's from Tversky. Um... So, the first group are, uh, okay, I'll give you the simple, maybe cynical explanation, but that's fine. The first group are the idiots, the second group are the cynics, and the third group is him. Okay, that's basically, that's basically the division of the world, okay? But the Ramam says, the largest group, the first group, are people who are not so intelligent. So, they read a Midrash, they read an Agatha, and they understand it. Kipshuto. They understand it simply as is. Right? Um... So this is how the Ramam describes them. Okay, this, again, Perish Mishnah is not written in Hebrew. Okay, it's written in Judeo-Arabic. So even if you see a good translation, right, like in Hebrew, like this, like this is Kapach's translation of the one that's in the back of Gemara, it's not originally written in Hebrew. So if you get a good English translation, it's the same thing, unless you, unless you speak Judeo-Arabic. Okay, unless you speak Judeo-Arabic. What? It's Hebrew letters, yeah. But that's a translation. That's Ibn Tibon's. The one in the back of the bar is Ibn Tibon's translation, and Kavach has another, and there are other translations. But it's Judeo Arabic. So if you speak Judeo Arabic, Bismcha. Judeo Arabic being different than Arabic? Yes, it was. Well, it's the way that. Yid, Judeo Arabic has. A, is exactly. It's the Yiddish of the Sephardi world. Right? Okay. Right, essentially. Like, is, it, is that Farsi? What? It's like. like no, it's like the way Yiddish is like German. Is German. Jewish. But German Jewish, essentially. So Judeo Arabic is the same with Arabic, right, of the medieval period. Okay, yeah, so if you can speak Arab it. Jews. What? Arab Jews, like Arab Jews. Yeah, it was Jews in Muslim lands, right? So they spoke their own dialect of, of, of Arabic, Judeo Arabic. So this is what he writes The first group is the largest one. I've watched them, read their books, heard about them. They accept the teachings of the sages in their simple, literal sense and do not think that these teachings, can, teachings contain any hidden meanings at all. They hold these opinions because they do not understand science and are far from having acquired any knowledge. They possess no perfection which would give them their own insights, nor have they found anyone else who would provide them with a similar understanding. Therefore, they believe that the sages intended no more with their deliberate and straightforward utterances than what they understood based on their own inadequate knowledge. They understand the teachings of the sages only in the literal sense, even though some of these teachings, when taken literally, would make even the, mo- even the uneducated, let alone sophisticated scholars, ask how anyone in the world could believe such things are true, let alone edifying. The members of this group are ignorant, and one can only regret their folly. Their very effort to honor and exalt the sages using their own meager understanding actually humiliates them. Right, so the Ramam doesn't mince his words. He says the first group are people who they think they're doing covet. I've met people like this, right? Right? They say, how could you possibly not believe the Midrash is absolutely literal? Are you smarter than Chazal? So sure it sounds crazy that Og was 50 feet tall, right, or 100 feet tall. But that's what it says. Right? That's what it says. And if you don't believe that absolutely, literally, because you think that doesn't make sense, so you, right, you are wrong. Right? You are disrespecting Chazal. So the Ramam says, no, you're not disrespecting Chazal. They're disrespecting Chazal because if anyone else told them that there was a man who was 50 feet tall, they wouldn't believe him. Pitom, it's in a Midrash. And now they say, oh, it must be right. Right? Chazal are so smart, they must be mean it literally. He says, what are you doing? Right? If someone else told it to you, you would understand it figuratively. Right? You would understand it not literally. It's in a Midrash. You assume it's literal. Right? You're not doing Chazal any favors. That's group one. 
Group two is worse. Right? Group two are the cynics. Right? The ones who read Chazal and Ah, but but they understand Chazal as being literal. Meaning they read Chazal, they assume Chazal are literal, and they say, but it's wrong. Right? Meaning group one and group two share something in common, namely both of them think Chazal are literal. The first group say, well, if Chazal said it, they said it. The second group say, Chazal meant it literally. It's impossible. Chazal are stupid. Right? right? That's the second group. So he says the second group is worse. But the second group is also large. When the people in this group read or hear the words of the sages, they too understand them according to their simple, literal sense and believe that the sages intended nothing other than what may be learned from their literal interpretation. And inevitably, they ultimately declare the sages to be fools, hold them in contempt, and slander... That which does not deserve to be slandered, right? Meaning they look at Chazal, Limashal, right? Take any idiom, right? It's raining cats and dogs, okay? Is that a phrase anyone knows, right? Okay, it's not like a useful phrase, but it's a good example, right? Someone says it's raining cats and dogs outside, okay? The first group would say, oh, if Chazal said it, it must be that there are uh, that there are bulldogs and uh, whatever, and and all the They'll explain that all the cats that we find in the garbage are because, you know, they, they came out of heaven. The second group will say, Ah, oh, Chazal thought that there were bulldogs, that there were pit bulls falling from heaven. I look outside, I only see water. Right? They must be idiots. Right? That's group two. So Ramam says, group two is worse than group one. Right? Group one are unintelligent. Group two are heretical. What's heretical? Go for it. They I, I deny God. I did better to be unintelligent than heretical. You know, I don't know. It's worse to be heretical. It's worse to be heretical. Yeah, it's worse to be heretical. Why? What? Because denial of God is worse. Yeah, I mean, the, look, the first one, Nebuch. Nebuch. Right? Nebuch. The second one isn't Nebuch. They're smart. They're, you know, they're attacking Chazal. So then, so then the third group. Now, the reason I say the Rambam is because you could have been nice about it. You could have said, okay, there's a third group. The third group are the group that understand Chazal not necessarily literally. Right? Okay, this is helpful. If you remember the previous presidential campaign. Okay, this is very helpful. Right? So what did they say? Trump's supporters took him seriously but not literally. And his detractors took him literally but not seriously. Okay? So... The cynics are, are are the ones who took Trump literally, but not seriously. Meaning, he said he's going to build a wall, and Mexico is going to pay for it. Oh, he's stupid. He thinks he's going to build a 50-foot wall, and Mexico is going to write a check to the United States. His supporters took him seriously, but not literally. Right? Meaning, he's, he's going to improve you know, border security, but he can't possibly mean he's really going to build a wall... Right? And it turns out that sometimes he actually was literal, sometimes he was serious, sometimes he was neither. Whatever, not the point. Right? Not the point. But it's a good mashal for what's going on here. The Rambam says, the third group are the one who take Chazal seriously, but not literally. Meaning, they think Chazal are saying something important, but they don't think that necessarily, right? So back to our mashal. What's, what group would be the, oh, it's just a medrash? That's the cynics. That's group two. Okay. Right? So, um... So the Rambam says, that's the third group. Now you could have just said, okay, there's a third group. 
But this is how the Rambam describes the third group. There is a third group. Its members are so few in number that it is hardly appropriate to, fall, to call them a group, except in the sense that one speaks of the sun as a group, or species, in which it is the only member. Right? So there's a third group which the Rambam thinks may only have one person. Right? And, you know, himself. Um, but, but then he goes on. He says, this group, then he says, maybe there are other people. Right? This group consists of men to whom the greatness of the sages is clear. They recognize the superiority of their intelligence from their words, which point to exceedingly profound truths. Even though the third group is few and scattered, their books teach the perfection which was achieved by the authors and the high level of truth which they had attained. The member of this group understand that the sages knew as clearly as we do that difference between the impossibility of the impossible and the existence of that which must exist. They know that the sages did not speak nonsense, and it's clear to them that the words of the sages contain both an obvious and a hidden meaning. Thus, whenever the sages spoke of things that seem impossible, they were employing the style of riddle and parable, which is the method of truly great thinkers. Okay? So the Rambam says, the third group, the proper way to understand Chazal is that they are serious, but not always literal. What we're going to do, not this week, is we're going to look at the parish of Avram ben Harambam on Agadita, and he's going to systematically go through different type of Agaditas, because that's not true of all Agaditas. Some really are literal, right? Some are literal, some are not stories at all, they're just, right? So, but we're going to get into different types of Agaditas, but the Rambam says the third group are the people who understand that Chazal sometimes are serious, but not literal. They have respect for Chazal to both, A, think they mean something important, but B, that they don't mean something which is ridiculous. Yeah, Danny. What means parable again? Parable, mashal. It's, uh, right, you know, I explain something by... Marshall. Yeah, it's a mashal. A mashal. Yeah, a mashal. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It's a mashal, a mashal, whatever. Yeah. I have a very basic question. A very basic question. If, uh, if... No, on, on, I got to, um, if a rabbi is telling over a story, um, you know, Let's explain Torah. Why wouldn't he say this is a Ah, good question. So good. So I was going to come back to that later, but let's do it now, right? So the Rambam says, okay. So so he said, okay, but if this is true, right? If it's true that Chazal spoke in Mashal, I know he says, right? So why, right? Why? I mean, why would he? Why would they do that? I mean. Naniach, it's true. Let's say it's true, but why? Right? So the Rambam explains in several places. He explains in Marnevuchim, he explains in the in Akadam and the Pedish from Mishnayos. What does he say? I mean, I mean I'll, I'm still in the Akadam of the Marnevuchim. He says, like, if I, uh, if I didn't write cryptically, people would come up to me and attack me with the shafts of their ignorance. So there's different things, but one of them, yeah. So the Rambam says the reason is because, right, the Rambam has different formulations in different places, but the Rambam says basically there's a few reasons. Right? One is, because not everybody can handle the truth. Right? Not everybody can handle it. So you don't just give away secrets. Right? I'd rather not intelligent people think it's a nice story and move on. I don't need them to try to penetrate the, the depths of philosophy. What? Yes. Right. It's better. And he says, besides. So instead you hide it. But that also means that the only people who are going to understand it are... Yeah, the people who are worthy to understand it, right? So you put it in mashal to to hide it from the people who don't deserve it, and to don't and to don't deserve to understand it. They're not smart enough, 
Right? The Rambam is an, the Rambam is an intellectual elitist in much of his writing. Is he, is he, is this, is he projecting onto the sages right now? It's yes. Now, he does the same thing. He says he does the same thing. Yeah. Um, is he explaining his own? What, <laughs> yes and yes. Yes and yes. Right? He understands Chazal is doing this, but he also understands himself is doing this. Right? That when you want to talk about philosophical secrets, so the Rambam says you don't give it away. You also, even, even when you're teaching someone, you hide it. You make them work for it. Because they only deserve to understand it if they are smart enough to figure it out, even if you don't spoon feed it. Okay? Now, so now let me, I'm not going to get too much into this, but the notion that Midrash or Agatha is not literal is one that is shared by many Rishonim, but here's something important to keep in mind both rationalists and irrationalists. Meaning, or mystics, let's say, right? They're not actually opposites, right? I don't like saying that. It, there's, no go- there's no good translation for Kabbalah in English, okay? Just keep that in mind. There is no good translation, right? Yeah, Kabbalah is great, but there is no good translation because Kabbalah is a combination of mysticism, right? And myth, not in like the bad sense of the word, in the good sense of the word, myth just... Yeah, just in the sense of it, explanatory stories of the Godhead, right? Sort of like back, back. Like, this is technical academic language; it's not important. But let's just say rationalists and mystics, even though classically capitalists did not view themselves to be anti-rational, they saw themselves as building on the shoulders of rationalists, especially the early, the early Catalonian capitalists, right? It changed a bit in Castile, but Catalonia, right? Ramban. And his rebellion, Ezra, Ezra and Azrael and Rivitzchak Sagi Nahor and that whole Hevra, who you don't know anything about. Um, but fine, the Catalonians. So this is pointed out nicely in an article by, uh, by Chaim Eisen in, uh, in Chakira. The Rambam's fundamental point that Chazal write not literally, but they have a deeper message, tells you nothing about the content of that message. Right? It doesn't tell you what type of message they're getting at. It just tells you it's not literal. And therefore, both rationalist Rishonim, like Rambam, like Ibn Ezra, and more mystical Mefarshim, Rishonim, Achronim, like Maral is the classic example, felt the same way. The only difference is what content do you fill that interpretation with? For the Rambam, an Agatha may be a veiled attempt by Chazal to teach you philosophical, rational truths in the, you know, Aristotelian model. For a Kabbalist, for the Maharal, let's say, it's teaching about the Sphero. It's teaching about the emanations of God. Right? The question of what content you put into that interpretation is separate from whether you think it's literal or not literal. Right, so... Kabbalists in general also agree. This wasn't a rationalist-irrationalist divide. It wasn't a rationalist-Kabbalist divide. Right? You can, it didn't matter, right? The question of whether it is literal or not is independent of what the content would be of your metaphorical, allegorical interpretation. Okay? So three models. Those who take Chazal literally, those who take them literally and therefore deny the authority of Chazal, and those who say Chazal are serious but not literal, and then that subdivides, right? Those you can have rational interpretations, you can have ethical interpretations, you can have mystical interpretations. Masha Balacha, yeah. It's not always not literal. Not, not always. That's what I said. Hold that thought, right? 
what I said, the Ramam sets up Bigadol, he doesn't go Agadata by Agadata. Rav Avram ben Harambam writes a parish on Agadata where he systematically, not doesn't go through every Agadata, but he goes through different types of Agadata, which ones you understand as literal, which you don't understand as literal. So that's what we're going to do hopefully next week. Uh, not next week, next week's our Rosh Hashanah. Next time, whenever that is, we'll do Rav Avram ben Harambam. Um, Rav Avram ben Harambam is more systematic, okay? But yes, the Rambam doesn't say no Agatha is literal. He just says not every Agatha is literal. Certain ones can be literal. That's fine. The question of which one is which, we'll, we'll, we'll get to. Now, uh, Chaim Eisen, in that same article, notes that the Rambam, several places in his writings, tells us that his end goal in life was to write a parish on all of Agatha and Shas. He says this all the time. He says it, one day I'll do it. One day you'll see. One day I'll explain this in my parish on Agatha. And it never happened. It never happened. Okay, now, it could be that it just didn't happen because he died. Right? Like, he died. I mean, okay. That happens, right? He died before he could finish it. Uh, Rav Avram Menoramam assumes not. Rav Avram Menoramam assumes he chickened out at some point. He said, like, and he, he quotes the Pasuk, right? That, right, from Moshe Rabbeinu at the Sned, that Moshe was afraid to approach. Right? Moshe, my father, at some point, he said, you know what? Trying to go systematically, I just can't do it. Um, based on that, Chaim Eisen notes the Maharal actually tries to be the mystical finishing of the Rambam's goal because the Maharal really did try to write a systematic perush on, on Agatha. Okay, fine. However, despite the fact that the Rambam strongly makes fun of uh, the other two possibilities... The fact is that the, there were many Rishonim, or even earlier, um, rabbinic authorities who took, com, who took interpretive stances that were almost identical, I won't say identical, but were pretty close to those positions that the Rambam really, really didn't like. So, the literalist camp, um, the notion that Midrash is, or Gadata is usually always, almost always, understood literally, uh, was taken by um, a good percentage of the, uh, the Baliat Tosfot and Rashi. I mean, many, many, many of the, um, of the Ashkenazi uh, Rishonim. Um, now, how do I know that? So, I was just going to assert that because I do think it's true. But, but then Mati kept challenging me, so I couldn't just assert it. Um, so let me give you a few examples, okay? Just to make sure I got as good examples as I could, I told him, I emailed one of the leading experts in Baliatosvot in the world, um, who's a professor of mine at YU, Professor Ephraim Kannerfogel, who's both a first-rate academic and a Talmud of, of the Rav, a serious Talmud Chacham and an academic, the best of the best. Of the best. Um, and I said, if I... What? What? Anyways, um, so I, I emailed him and I said, if you had to pick a few examples to prove the point that there were people in Ashkenaz that felt Chazal should be understood literally, what would you pick? So here's what he said, then I'll add some of my own. The first one is, this I was going to put, but it's good that he picked it also, is there was, during the Maimonidean controversies, right, if you know anything about history, the Rambam was very controversial, and many people in Ashkenaz really got a bit annoyed at him, and there's letters going back and forth from... And it's recorded by the Ramah, 
of the Chachmei Ashkenaz writing to him. So in one of those letters, the Rashmi Shans, now the Rashmi Shans is one of the three most important French Baliatosvot. Okay? The three most important French Baliatosvot are Rabbeinu Tam, who is the intellectual power head. He's basically the one who invented in the medieval period the dialectic method, right? Svedinim, there's two of this, right? The Re, right? The Re, who was, uh, who, the Re got things done, right? Rabbi Tom was like the genius, the Re just like, got things done, and, and, and the Rashmi Shans. The Rashmi Shans is a bit more of an organizer. He also writes on a lot of parts of, uh, of Shas that no one else writes on. He writes on Zraim, he writes on Taros, right? he writes on Mishnayos. But those are the first, like, three early Baliatos in France. These are like the big three, okay? So Rashmi Shans is a big deal, okay? He's a big deal. Whenever in, uh, in, in, the, whenever in Tosvos you see the Rajba, that's not the Sephardi Rajba. That's not, right, that's not the Sephardi Rajba. That's the Rashmi Shans. Right? Rav Shimon of Sens. Rav Shimshon of Sens, rather. Rav Shimshon ben Avram. Okay? So this is what he writes about the Rambam. V'eich ya'ale alev ish lomar. How could a person even think shelo nikach divrei ha'agada kipshuta that you shouldn't take agadata literally? Im Cain, if that were the case... And then he gives a proof. Okay? I wanted you to have this in front of you, but I'll say it outside. The Gemara in Bava Basar Daf Ayin Hei says that Rabbi Yochanan said that in the uh, time of Mashiach, or in the Lasid Lavo, that we're going to have these huge, valuable stones, right? Diamonds and gems of all sorts that are 30 by 30 uh, Amos. Right? So massive, right? That's massive, right? 30 by 30 Amos is massive. Okay? Whatever, however big it is, right? It's you know, Naniach, about the size of that room. Okay? Right, it's big. Big stones. Um, and they're going to be at Yerushalayim. And a student didn't believe him until he saw it. And Rabbi Yochanan got so angry at him. And he said, what? How dare you say? How dare you say that you only believe me because you saw it? Where's your Amunaz Chachamim? He looks at him and he turns into a pile of bones. Which is standardly what happens in, in Chazal. I don't know if that's literal either. Right? But, uh, but Rabbi Yochanan says... So, sorry, the Rashmi Shan says, wait a second, if you're the Rambam, and you think Agadatah isn't literal, so why is Rabbi Yochanan angry? Right? It could just be that the student thought that Rabbi Yochanan wasn't being literal. And then Pitom, he sees the 30 Amma by 30 Amma diamonds, and he says, oh, Rabbi Yochanan is literal. But that's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, he said, how dare you only believe your own eyes? Why do you only rely on empiricism? Right? You should rely on tradition. Right? Shea gets kaifer. Right? right? You're terrible. And he kills him or whatever he does. He said, if you're the Rambam, so the guy should just say it was an exaggeration. And then he gives another example. And then he says, in, uh, in, in Chulin, the Gemara says in three places the Chazal speak right? which means in you know, Mashal. But he says, if Chazal always talk in Mashal, why do you enumerate three? And therefore he says, No adding, no subtracting. Chazal are literal. Chazal are literal. He gave me another example. The last Gemara in Tainus. The last Gemara Antinus says that it, Lavo, 
all the tzaddikim are going to sit in a, in a circle. Amr Lazar Asak of the Shbarach Ulazar's Macholat Tzaddikim, who Yoshev Benayim began Eden. In the time of Mashiach, in the time of Olamaba, whatever, all the tzaddikim are sitting around God in a circle and point to him and say, this is my God. Tosvo says, well, what does it mean? They'll point, it means they're going to point with their finger. Now, what does that mean? Right, so he, so, so Rikanavok will point it out. Tosvo's, assumes it's literal. He doesn't tell you it's literal because what is, what is he trying to do in the Gemara? Trying to understand physically how are people going to point to God. But that assumes that it's, it's literal, right? It assumes it's literal. It just assumes it. It doesn't even draw attention to that fact. I'll give you a few more. The most radical one, and Mati knows this, this is definitely radical, but it exists. There is a Rishon who is not as important as the, as the Rosh Mishans, named Moshe Taku. Moshe Taku has a what? Taku, taku, whatever it is, right? It's a... Uh, what? what? So, um, who wrote a savior called um, Ktiv Tamim, Ktiv Tamim, I think so, I think I got that right. Um, it's very hard to actually access. I had to like get, I had to look at a, at a Xerox of the manuscript at some point. It's quite annoying. Um, so I didn't put it on the source sheets anyways. Um, where he says... The Rambam is a heretic because he thinks God doesn't have a body. He said, Maze! Maze! said, the Torah says God has a Yad. Yad Hashem. The Chazal talk about God wearing tefillin. How dare the Rambam deny that Chazal are literal. God has a body. And if you don't believe that God has a body, you are a heretic. Right? Because you're denying Chazal. You're denying explicit Midrashim. You're, explying, you're, you're denying Psukim. Now that's an extreme expression. Right? Ramosh Taku is so convinced that you have to understand Chazal and Psukim literally. Now he doesn't think God is physical. You should be careful. He doesn't say God is physical. He says he's corporeal. That right? means he has a body. But his body isn't physical. In but that's the Rambam. Yes. What? Okay, first of all, you were just quoting from Anim's Mirat, right? <laughs> right. What? Hey, Yigdal, thank you. Right, which is a quote of the Rambam, right? right, right, right. But yes. Um, but Moshe Daku said, no, he has a body. Maze, of course he has a body. Right? The Rivid. I don't know. You think... There's a reason Moshe Taku, when you learn the top 50 Rishonim, Moshe Taku doesn't make it into the top 50 Rishonim, okay? This is what anybody knows about him. But the point is that he's living in Ashkenaz, right? He's living in Ashkenaz, and uh, and he says the same, right? He has this radical notion. Now the Rivid, the Rivid, in a incredible statement, right? The Rivid in Perigimal Lachazayin of Hilchas Tshuva, the Rambam says that anyone who believes God has a body is a kofar, right? And the Rivid says, "How dare you?" The Rivid says, "I agree. I agree." God doesn't have a body. But how can you say that someone who thinks that God has a body is a kofar? There are people who are greater than the Rambam who thought that, or whatever, who thought that God had a body. Why? Because they explained the psukim and the, uh, the agadot of Chazal and they were confused by them. Now, the Ravid himself clearly holds, like the Rambam, that God doesn't have a body and the Midrash isn't literal. 
but he attests to the fact that there were early authorities who he thinks were, you know, on par with the Rambam at least, or himself, or whatever, right? Me menu, me many, whatever. On par, either way, if I was as good as the Rambam or the Ravid, you know, fine. Right? He says they were as good as either the Rambam or the Ravid, whatever, who thought that God had a body, but why? Right? Now is not the time to talk about whether God had a body. But because they understood a God did kip shutam. So the Rambam may deride people who understand a God at the literally, and the majority of Mepharshim, both rationalists and mystical, may follow the Rambam, that it's not literal, but there were significant people who thought, no, bigado, you should always take Agarata literally. Okay? At the other extreme is the Gaonim. Many of the Gaonim um, took the position, or seemed to take the position, it's not totally clear, that um, that Chazal in Midrashim, you know, they said what they said, and uh, we don't really have to care so much. It's just a Gadata. Now, I'll be careful. Maharal understands the Gaonim as saying the same as the Rambam. Namely, that we don't have to take it seriously, lehalacha. There are deep ideas in it, but we don't take it seriously, lehalacha. That's the way the Maharal understands the Gaonim. My point here, in a shir like this, I can't, you know, do a thorough analysis of whether he's right in every single Gaon. Many others understand the Gaonim to be closer to the cynical camp of the Rambam. Right? Not the ones who reject Chazal. Right? Obviously, they don't reject Chazal. But the Gaonim have many passages where it at least sounds possible that they believe that, look, Midrashim, Chazal said what they said, we don't have to care so much. Right? I know that's a bit of an extreme uh, formulation. Um, but I, I can't pull up the, uh, the Hebrew right now. Um, but I'll read you a quote in English that's translated by... Um, by Moshe Shoshan, um, from Rul ben Chafni Gaon. Agada is any interpretation brought in the Talmud that does not explain a commandment. This is Agada, and one should re- only rely on it within reason. You should know that all laws that the rabbis of the Talmud enacted on the base of a commandment came directly from Moshe, our teacher, may rest in peace, who received them from the Almighty. One may neither e- add nor detract from them. I mean, halacha is halacha. But when the rabbis interpreted non-legal verses, they were expressing their own opinions and what happened and what happened to occur to them. We rely on these interpretations only when they're reasonable. Or from from Rav Shreiragon, or Midrash and Agada, which we derive from verses, are mere approximations. They represent the opinions of individuals. But for us, a man is praised according to his reason. So too, the Agada translates transmitted by the students of students like Rabbi Tanchuma and Rabbi Oshia and others are mostly not reasonable, so we do not rely on words of Agada. Okay? So, to summarize, the majority of Rishonim and Achronim follow some version of the middle approach, right, of the Rambam, that Chazal are meant, at least sometimes, to be taken, not literally, but metaphorically. They divide on what content you put in it, mystical content, rational content, ethical content, whatever. However, there were Rishonim, especially amongst the Chachmei Ashkenaz, who were much closer to the Rambam's we take Chazal literally, and that's a good thing. And the Gaonim, it's a, we'll leave it open, right? Maharal denies that the Gaonim said anything different than the Rambam. There were others who thought that the Gaonim were closer to the Rambam's cynical camp, obviously not the same. They didn't, he didn't reject Chazal, but that the Gaonim basically felt that Agadic 
passages you didn't have to accept as authoritative. Chazal said them, but okay, halacha is halacha, you have to take it seriously. I got it, not so much. Whether the Gonim actually said it or not is a fascinating exercise, and if you want, I can give you all the passages, you can go through the Gonim yourself. For our purposes, I want to outline the models rather than who said what. Right? And these three models do exist. Um, but like I said, the majority view, and the one that we'll be trying to understand this year, is really some version of the Rambam. Um, but what we're going to do next time is look at Rav Avram ben Rambam, because as we're going to see, it's not true of every Midrash, not true of every Agadah. Some of them are literal. Right? Sometimes they're not. But we have to try to figure out which ones are, which ones are not. How do we figure that out? And then at some point in the year, we're also going to add sort of modern, we'll, we'll maybe do one. Ephraim's not... Ephraim's there now. He's no longer eavesdropping on us. But um, to make Ephraim happy, we'll also maybe do some Agatha. You'll see. Um, maybe the best way of explaining it is not even metaphorical, but is as a uh, historical polemic and are best understood if you understand the context of Chazal in, uh, in Persia at that time, right? In, like the Zoroastrian religion, because sometimes you do find polemics, but that's something we'll do maybe a little, bit, uh, a little bit later in the year. But now it is time for lunch. I'll give you the source sheets later. I'll send them to you. I have them made. I just... My computer is doing whatever it's doing.